The Vision app is the best place to find a growing range of on-demand audio for the whole family. Your kids or grandkids can listen to the popular radio drama Adventures in Odyssey and two-minute Bible stories called Quick Sticks whenever it suits you. Whether you're in the car for a few minutes or for a longer trip, these two programs will keep the kids entertained. New episodes are added every weekday in the free Vision Christian Media app. If you don't already have the app on your smartphone or tablet, download it now from vision.org.au slash app. Vision.org.au slash app. Vision. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Rod St. Hill, welcome along to 2020. It's great to be here, Neil. Thank you so much for having me. Rod, the economic issues. Uh, These are the issues that sometimes, when you are a Christian, they get overshadowed by the moral and ethical challenges because we're often applying our Christian worldview to those things. How important is it for us to also take into account the economic issues in the lead-up to an election. Well, well, Neil, I certainly agree with you that moral issues, issues concerning values, are fundamentally important. And actually, when I make my own voting decisions, they are more important to me than purely economics. However, if you don't get the economics right, that's when family issues, when values, when ethical issues tend to be undermined because we start fighting over, if you like, a, a pizza, an economic pizza that isn't actually growing. So it's almost, it's almost always easier to um, propagate a Christian agenda in an environment where people are feeling happy from an economic perspective. Okay, so the economic perspective, very important for us to get that right because, uh, as you say, the anxiety that comes uh, if you don't have the economics right it doesn't give you the opportunity to actually get these other fine-tuned uh, moral, ethical issues in place. Well, that's true because, biblically speaking, we're looking at a, at a whole, a whole socio-economic and political system, and you can't really just take a little piece of it and say, well, if we can fix this bit, then everything else will be okay. So I think the biblical worldview perspective says we really need to do everything we possibly can to get it all right. So we do have to have strong families. We do have to have strong standards of integrity and of honesty in the political realm. We also do have to have a very strong economy. So I really don't think that we've got the choice of picking a little bit and specialising in that. We actually really need to take the broad overview and ask ourselves the question, when we come to vote, uh, where we put our, our number on the piece of paper, are we confident that that candidate is going to do, if you like, the least damage to the overall picture that we get from the Bible in terms of the socio-economic and political systems? Let's talk about the Bible for a few moments and wanting to invite our listeners to participate in this conversation. Uh, you might have your own insights to offer. When we talk about a biblical view, uh, oftentimes we're talking as Christians, well, this gospel that, you know, go into all the world, preach the gospel, take this great commission uh, to all these other nations, making disciples of them. We've got that idea, that understanding. We've also got an idea that the Bible speaks to us about these moral and ethical issues, and uh, we have a Christian worldview perspective where we place ourselves when it comes to those issues. But what does the Bible say, Rod St. Hill, about business, about economics, 
is the Bible, in fact, designed to show us insights into how a nation ought to run, about the way that people function in a society? What does the Bible sh- uh, show as so light on those types of subjects? Look, I certainly think it does give us some really important foundations for understanding what would constitute a godly economic system. But, um, look, you can find different theologians and different Christians in business and economics who will have differing views. My own perspective is that if if you take the Bible as a whole, the Bible argues in favour of what I would call a Christian capitalism or biblical capitalism, and that's based on the idea of private ownership of property. It's based on the idea that we can freely enter into exchange transactions so that we're free to buy and sell in markets without unnecessary constraint from government, that we're committed to hard work, that is, diligence is an important element of our economic activities, and uh, also that um, we have a a growth and development orientation. So if you have a look at the, the overall story of the Bible, it starts in a garden and it ends in a city. If you have a look at what we might call the creation mandate or the cultural mandate that you'll find in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you'll see that God really wanted to fill the whole earth with Eden and to fill the earth with people like him. I think there's a parallel with that and the Great Commission in Matthew 28. God clearly wants to fill the earth with people like him when he says to the church, go into all the world and make disciples of the nations. And what's more, I will be with you. And that is parallel, I think, to the whole creation mandate where God gave dominion to humanity over everything that he had placed on the earth. That's in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. In Genesis 2, 15, we see that God has actually made humanity accountable for the way in which we exercise that dominion. Then in Genesis 3, verse 8, we see that God is prepared to walk in the cool of the evening in the garden and converse with us. And there's a parallel in Matthew 28 where Jesus says, go into all the world. You know, I've given you all authority and I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. And uh, so I think there's that whole picture of the importance of private ownership, of the capacity to produce, a, a responsibility to do something with that capacity, and um, at the same time, always with an eye to social justice. And if you look back in the Old Testament law, you'll see that the primary means of delivering social justice to the the, the, uh, the widows, the orphans, the sojourners was actually through the laws of gleaning, which, if you like, was welfare with the dignity of work attached. So I think that gives you an overall picture of what I would consider to be biblical capitalism, and that will deliver growth and development in an environmentally uh, responsible way, and it will provide the best means of social justice, which is the dignity of work. Human beings were created to work. That's very clear in Genesis 2. We're only fully fulfilled as human beings if we can engage in economically meaningful work. Uh, It doesn't have to be paid employment, but it has to be meaningful work. And I believe that biblical capitalism is really the only way to deliver all of those things. Well, wanted to invite listeners to participate in our conversation because once we start talking about a biblical foundation... It brings us into the conversation, Rod, uh, as to what are the alternative views that are out there. And if we've got an idea what our biblical view is, then we can have some uh, way that we can make comparisons. And if we compared those different views, and I, I suppose the other sorts of views that are popular is the view of socialism, 
uh, and we've seen historical contexts where there's been communism, and uh, we might be able to enlarge on those, and listeners might have their own comments and or questions when it comes to uh, the comparison of those views. But then we would come to the context of where we are in our Australian society, 11 days out from an election, and say, who's leading us where, and uh, what sort of a society do we have, and what sort of a society do we want? Uh, let's uh, invite listeners, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Our talkback line is open for you to participate in our conversation today. If we talked about some of these other comparative systems, you say there's a, there's a biblical capitalism. Some people might argue that, you know, sharing wealth equally amongst people actually looks a bit like socialism. But uh, what, sort of, what sort of differences ought we look there in uh, if we yes, talk look, about those um, sorts of comparisons? I, I think, look, I, I know great Christians. I've got great Christian friends who would have a different understanding of what biblical economics consists of. Um, usually that understanding is based on a, a couple of scraps of Scripture taking out, taken out of the book of Acts. And uh, I don't believe that that was prescriptive, that was descriptive, it was a representative of a particular time in, in church history. And in any case, there's no evidence that the early uh, Jewish Christians actually sold their houses because they continued to actually meet in their houses. I don't believe that a, a Jewish Christian even would have actually sold their um, their inheritance. So I think definitely, yes, there were sales of possessions and there was a pooling of resources. And we know that they actually set up a system for um, uh, providing, if you like, social welfare, particularly to widows. But if you have a look in 1 Timothy, you will see that in order to qualify for that assistance, um, there were very significant restrictions. And I, I joked at a seminar I gave a little while ago that if we actually applied the 1 Timothy principles to social welfare in Australia, we'd only have 27 people on welfare. Uh, right. <laughs> um, so actually the, the, the biblical vision of, if you like, social welfare is very, very restricted. But the vision of what you might call private welfare, that is systems built into business that would allow people to provide for themselves with dignity, that's very strong. And our experience of modern-day capitalism is that that is omitted that tends to be omitted, and um, so there, there isn't, if you like, enough heart in business, and and the structures that we have today tend to pander to to greed. They tend to pander to consumerism, and really, that's just a form of gluttony, and and you know, greed is idolatry, and um, also a very strong bid for a particular type of freedom, which says I should be free to do anything I like, unconstrained by any interest that you might have. Now, that's not a good approach to capitalism because it clearly isn't going to develop, uh, to deliver, I should say, benefits right across our whole society. Uh, you mentioned a little earlier the fact that across the political spectrum we have different approaches to uh, the economic system. I think one of the, in a sense, disappointing aspects of the current election campaign is that you can no longer assume that parties which might be might have been referred to as conservative really are conservative. Now, they, they've tended to um, preserve a conservative approach to economics. That is, they tend to believe that we need thriving businesses in order to create wealth so that we can provide taxation revenue to do all the, all the things that governments do and also provide jobs. But what's happened is there's been this divergence on, if you like, social issues. And so um, the coalition, for example, particularly the Liberal Party, has tended to move 
towards the so-called progressive end of the spectrum in terms of a lot of um, social issues. They haven't moved as far as economic issues are concerned. I think that's presenting quite a dilemma uh, for many people, for many Christians in particular, who would actually be conservative right across the spectrum. And uh, I think one of the reasons why we've seen the emergence of a number of minor parties, particularly minor parties with a Christian influence, is that Christians are looking for, if you like, a conservative side of politics which ticks the boxes right across the spectrum, the economic spectrum as well as the social spectrum. Well, inviting listeners to join into our conversation, 1-800-316-316. Your own perspectives on the Liberal National Coalition or on the Labor Party. Uh, Your thoughts on the minor parties and the minor parties, of course, uh, uh, the Christian Democratic Party or the Family First Party. Uh, organisations like the Australian Christians, the Rise Up Australia Party, the Democratic Labor Party. Uh, There are a lot of Christian parties or parties that have foundations of Christian values and, as Rod is pointing out, uh, parties that call themselves conservative parties. So ticking the boxes on the ethical and moral side, uh, but also trying to establish themselves economically as conservative as well. Uh, 1-800-316-316 to join into our conversation. Rod, a word that you've mentioned a couple of times in our our, uh, opening uh, remarks, uh, the word dignity. Uh, Dignity so important uh, for every individual. And uh, when we fit that into a biblical Christian context, uh, dignity for people, an important aspect, uh, which flows right across the economics uh, when it comes to our work, uh, the value that we have in society, uh, the welfare that we're actually uh, helping one another with. Uh, where does where does dig- dignity mean to you? Well, look, I think dignity has really two main aspects. One is ev- everybody is born with a need to feel that they are individually valued. And secondly, um, everyone is born with a need to feel competent. And that's one of the reasons why I believe that long-term social welfare is actually bad for people because it robs them of both. It robs them of a sense of value in our society and it robs them of a sense that they are competent. And uh, I'd actually like to see some change in attitude in businesses. I would like to see us think about how we can actually apply the Old Testament laws of gleaning. And uh, you might recall that in Leviticus, um, the laws of gleaning suggest that if you're, you're a farmer, you don't harvest the outside rows and you only actually go through your crop once and you leave the rest for the gleaning. And that was for widows and orphans and sojourners, basically those people who, for whatever reason, were unable to provide for themselves through regular work. And I think that's something which is missing from our society today. If you go back to the original um, beverage report that was produced in the United Kingdom soon after the Second World War, that the main recommendation there was that there is not enough um, welfare provided by the private sector and therefore government should step in and provide such welfare. That's a good idea in principle. When you don't see enough of it happening, it's not a bad idea to have some involvement at government level. But, of course, what has happened since then is that um, political parties have developed. We've got professional politicians now, and social welfare is used not just to help those who, for whatever reason, are unable to sustain themselves. It's also used for purely political reasons, and that's one reason why such a large proportion of government spending is now on social welfare. That's why 
you'll see that there are some parties that want to increase the influence of uh, social welfare, but ultimately, in the long term, it actually robs people of dignity. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Dr. Rodson Hill is our guest, a Christian economist, and we're talking through those issues in the lead up to the uh, July 2nd election. The defining issues of the election, our talkback line is open. We are taking calls. Let's hear from Robin in Cabramatta in Sydney. Hello, Robin. Welcome along. Oh, hello. Um, Yes, talking about the election and the issues involved, I think really the emphasis for us Christians is wrong. We're so much interested in keeping the laws, getting the laws right, but there should be emphasis on a moral renewal, and the Christian politicians should emphasise that, call for a moral renewal of the Holy Spirit, which will do a lot to bring in the right forces for good. That's what happened in Wales. The crime stopped. The police went out of business almost for a whole year. You're talking about the Welsh revival, the turn of the 20th century. At the time in 1900 and something. Yeah. Uh, Your thoughts, Rodson Hill? Um, Yep. Let's have revival. As simple as that. (laughs) Australia definitely needs revival. Uh, Whether or not it's going to... Politicians need to start saying it to the people, not only the ministers of God, but the politicians, Christian ones, that is. Well, what you need to do is to have a very close look at the, the policies in their entirety of the Christian parties that are putting candidates up in your own electorate, and you go and talk to them, and you vote for the person whom you think is most likely to do that. And uh, look, I agree we need calls from every sphere of human activity by leading Christians for us to to come back to the moral basis of the Bible. Uh, The only thing we need to understand is the church as a whole has lost a lot of traction here. We don't have the same social standing uh, that we used to have. People don't think we have the same right that we used to have to participate in public debate. So we've got a long way to go. But yes, I agree with you, Robin, that we're looking for leaders who will stand up for biblical principles and who will take every opportunity they can to provide leadership. Robin from Cabramatta, thank you so much for your input today here on 2020. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Interesting points that Robin is raising there because that brings into perspective, doesn't it, Rodson Hill? Uh, If you're going to have your political leaders call for moral and social renewal, uh, then they have to come from that sort of base themselves. To have people who are at the helm, uh, in those positions of responsibility, who don't hold a Christian worldview, an understanding of what moral and social renewal brings uh, economically, uh, well, then no one's going to actually make that call, are they? No, look, I, I think one of the difficulties we have, of course, is the church has let go of so much of the influence that it had uh, through the ages. And, of course, there are a lot of Christians today who would say that we don't really want to have anything to do with, with politics, and so we don't take enough interest in it. And I think what we need to be doing is to encourage those people who, who have had the courage to put their hand up and say, I will be a candidate uh, for one of the Christian parties, or Family First is not a specifically Christian party, but has um, strongly um, conservative uh, values. And some of these parties are actually saying what we, we need to put integrity and honesty back into politics. And uh, look, I, I think as individual Christians, we need to take every opportunity we can to meet with the candidates 
in an, either in the Senate for our state or in our own electorates and find out where they stand on these issues. Because, I, I, I mean, I've got friends on both sides of the political spectrum, so to speak, great Christians, and they have chosen the particular path that they have chosen for different reasons. What I think we need to be doing is to support those who are going to carry into the political realm Christian values that we hold dear. The only way you're going to find out about that, you really have to sit down and talk with them. Some parties are very upfront about it um, without naming them. Look, there are a number of parties like Christian Democrats, which is um, Fred Niles' party. There's um, Australian Christians, uh, Rise Up Australia. There are, there are a number. Then you've got Family First, which attracts many, many Christians, although it's not specifically a Christian party. If you have a look, you can go onto their website, you can have a look at what their policy says, uh, you will find that these are the parties that are actually built on very strong Christian values. And uh, they are minor parties, but um, go and talk to the local uh, candidates, ask them about the the reasoning behind the way in which they're allocating preferences, because they'll all have how-to-vote cards. And one of the most important things for these parties, of course, is that firstly, they win some representation in the Senate where they can have significant influence on policy that, that goes through. And we're talking about economics and the coming federal election. Well, we're not too far away. 11 sleeps to go until the election. We're talking about those defining issues of the election and where we as Christians so often are able to talk very freely about the moral and social challenges and bring into that a Christian worldview. What do we do with all of the economic issues? And a wonderful start to our conversation uh, in this uh, past half hour, talking about the Bible and talking about economic positions. We are taking calls. Uh, Rod, let's take a call from Bill in Eagleby in Queensland, uh, 1-800-316-316, if you'd like to join our conversation. Hello, Bill. Welcome along to 2020. Good morning, men. How are you? Very well, Bill. What are your thoughts on our conversation? Uh, very good. I, I just love Vision Radio, and I just praise the Lord that uh, he directed me there one day, and, you know, I just don't get enough of you guys. So I just praise God. I just pray that um, people out there support you financially as well as prayer. You know? oh, well, thank you for that. It's always nice to get a compliment or two. Uh, do you have any thoughts on our on this discussion we're having about uh, about the big defining issues in the lead up to the election? Well, one of the big things that I find, or a couple of big things I find, it's probably, it all leads to social, but we're all talking about moral issues at the moment. I think everyone out there who's a Christian understands where I'm going to come from, is that the media and the politicians are keeping very quiet on the safe school program and same-sex marriage. It's all about spending money which we do not have. Majority of us know that it's switched on, know how much money is actually only coming into the country. And here it is, we're going to spend thousands, if not millions of dollars above our budget just to satisfy the ear. Um, but the safe school program and the uh, same-sex marriage does not even seem to come up very... Oh, I haven't heard it come up at all, to tell you the truth. Uh, well, the, the truth so, about that is because the issue is supposed to come up into a plebiscite later on this year, at least that's the promise from the coalition, uh, that there'll be a plebiscite beyond the election. The intention of that was to, in some ways, separate the emotional 
challenges of talking about the same-sex marriage debate and separating it from the upcoming election. But, of course, the truth is because the Labor Party would have a... Uh, a, uh, a, a legislation within 100 days if they are elected, what it means yeah. is that this coming election actually is, in some sense, uh, some form of referendum on the issue of same-sex marriage and uh, very important to get your vote right uh, to be able to stand uh, by marriage. But uh, you were right too, Bill, when it comes to these issues of the Safe Schools Coalition program and what is being promised by the Labor side of politics uh, to run that out into uh, all schools and continue to fund it in the way that it's been uh, set there uh, to uh, to shape young people, uh, talking about all sorts of uh, different and strange gender issues. Uh, that is a real challenge uh, on yes, the cu- on the yep. Sorry, but Neil, the thing that you and I obviously here it is. You and I can talk freely over radio, and uh, listeners can hear. But what I'm what I'm finding is that even if you just to try to open up that door to talk about something, see, because the politicians aren't talking about, it, because the media's not talking about, it, no one's talking about it. And so when a Christian opens up his mouth to say something about, oh, did you hear about this? Oh no. So the majority of Australians out there don't even know that it's actually there. So, that's yeah, right. There's a deception that's going on, isn't there? Uh, and then perhaps it's uh, maybe not so much an intentional deception, but the sort of deception that says uh, this election is really all about the great cultural changes that are going on in our nation, but they don't want to talk about it. And it's, uh, you know, people are taking a risk as soon as they put their head up uh, to say a few things. Uh, there are all sorts of names that are called and uh, shot down in, in flames. But let's get some thoughts uh, from our special guest, Dr. Rodson Hill. Uh, these are more of the moral, uh, ethical issues that uh, that we're talking about with marriage and the Safe Schools Coalition program. But there must be economic issues around those too. Have you had any thoughts about that? Well, look, um, family is the basic social unit in our in our nation, and it does have a significant influence that flows through into the economic sphere because so many businesses are family owned. So, having healthy families is an important element of an overall uh, economic system. But look, I, I think politicians don't want to engage in the really divisive um, areas of debate. Uh, this whole issue of same-sex marriage, for example, it did come up yesterday. Uh, the Prime Minister was questioned on it. Um, he was um, basically goaded yet again to abandon his commitment to the plebiscite. But um, he made it very clear that um, well, his actual words were, I'm, I'm not a dictator, that um, I may not agree with um, those who are in support of traditional marriage. But he said he is committed to that party policy that was determined before he became Prime Minister, so he has reaffirmed yet again his commitment to the plebiscite. So um, full marks to him for taking that one and um, sticking to his guns on that. Um, Bill, you raised the whole issue of this kind of masking in the political debate by looking at handing out money for this, that and the other. Look, I think to some extent that's true. Um, the politicians will know that economic issues are front and centre in the minds of voters. So they know that um, voters will be looking to see how they're going to raise revenue and how they're going to spend it. And uh, I do actually think that the essential heart of each side of politics has been revealed in this uh, campaign. Uh, We see that the coalition, for example, and particularly the National Party, if you go onto their website and have a look at their policy platform, they are very strongly in favour of supporting 
small businesses. They are pro-business. They see that building strong businesses is the only way to create wealth, and they have that in common with almost all of the minor parties. All of the conservative minor parties have a very strong focus on family, a very strong focus on business, particularly small business. They see that the wealth creation that goes on business is the only foundation for a successful and uh, prosperous uh, economy and therefore a prosperous society into the future. At the moment, what we see is that the heart of the conservative side of politics is this uh, belief that ultimately we we can only um, grow and thrive economically if we have sustainable um, remunerated employment in business. Uh, the other side of politics tends to believe that we can resolve most of our problems, particularly our social ills, by taking money from the wealthy and transferring it either directly to those who are not as well off or by using it to fund um, various uh, schemes and projects. So we see, for example, that um, the Labor Party, for example, has basically said we don't see any way to balancing the budget uh, within 10 years of the election. The other side of politics says we think we can. And um, that is a significant difference between the two main parties in this election. One has much more confidence that business can deliver a prosperous um, society for us into the future, one in which people can fully participate. And the other side of politics, the Labor side, basically has said, look, the best way we can resolve the issues that are arising for families and for young people in terms of their economic uh, well-being is actually to throw money at various schemes. And I, as a, a conservative Christian, I, I tend to have much more confidence in the idea that through wealth creation, and, and particularly, as I said earlier, if we can devise ways of implementing the Old Testament approach to gleaning, I think we can have a much, much better society. Thank you to Bill from Eagleby for your input today here on 2020. While we're on this topic talking about uh, debt, uh, deficits, uh, balanced budgets for the future predictions, uh, the Prime Minister last night on the Q&A program on the ABC was asked about uh, the economic future projections for surplus. And his response, Rod St Hill, was that forecasts have been too optimistic However, if you go back to the days of the Howard government, he said, the forecasts were too pessimistic and invariably the surpluses ended up being higher than were expected. So uh, all that really describes is the fact that forecasting is a perilous business. Let me ask you as a Christian economist, uh, the idea of forecasting, when we're actually hearing all of these things coming from both sides and each side seems to have their own forecast that fits their own policies, uh, how how perilous is this idea of forecasting? Perilous is the right word. <laughs> forecasting anything in economics is very, very difficult. And one of the reasons for that is that people don't follow rules. Um, it's relatively easy for me to forecast when I get out of bed in the morning that I'm actually going to get to work on time without an accident and without a breakdown because I've got a lot of evidence to, that suggests that most people know the road rules most people follow the road rules, and if I drive defensively, I can actually react in time to compensate when someone who either doesn't know the road rules or doesn't obey the road rules causes a, a little bit of grief. 
Now, it doesn't work all the time, but I've got far more confidence that I can get to work on time each day than I've got in any economic forecast, and I say that as a professional economist. The basic reason is that no one yet really has figured out how to get inside the heads of people and just work out how they're going to feel each day when they get out of bed. And that has an enormous influence on what happens to things like prices on the stock market, and that flows through to so many other economic variables. And uh, what the Prime Minister said yesterday is quite true. Uh, During the 1990s and into the 2000s, generally speaking, the forecasts on the revenue side of um, the federal government's budget were pessimistic. The economy actually grew faster. Um, People spent more rapidly than was anticipated. Uh, A lot of that spending, of course, was predicated on debt, so borrowing was going up at the same time. And then in more recent times, the, the fall in commodity prices, particularly for coal and for iron ore, which are our most important uh, mineral exports, those prices fell way, way below anything that anybody imagined. So I would have to confess that us economists are pretty good at explaining what happened yesterday. We're not so good at actually forecasting what will happen tomorrow. So we can give you in broad brush perspective, we can do that but it's really difficult to get a good handle on the actual economic figures. Rod, let's race through a few topics, and we might not be able to expand on these because time's running short. Uh, There's been big controversies over uh, Medicare and uh, all sorts of accusations of lying uh, that are coming with with, uh, issues to do with uh, Medicare. Uh, Did you have any thoughts on on, on Medicare? I mean, we talk, uh, there's, you know, talk about the back end uh, Mm. way in which uh, payments are uh, processed. is there is there an economic position that you were, would be thinking about with with regard to Medicare? Oh, look, I think there are lots of elements of Medicare that could actually be contracted out to the private sector. But the 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 very idea that Medicare itself could be privatised is actually ludicrous. And the reason is, if I bought Medicare, I'm not actually buying a revenue stream. Medicare can't make money that unless the government was prepared to sell off the right to a private sector corporation to actually tax people, there is no prospect whatsoever that anybody would ever buy Medicare. So the idea that Medicare is somehow going to be privatised, that's absolute, it's just ludicrous. However, there's a great deal of merit in having a look at some of the functions that make Medicare happen and contracting them out. One of the big problems that we have with Medicare at the moment is it has an ancient dilapidated, unreliable um, uh, system of electronics behind it. So the, the, the computer systems that make sure we get our payments through Medicare are old, dilapidated, increasingly unreliable. They need updating. There is no reason whatsoever why that could not be a job which is let out by contract to the private sector. There is absolutely no reason whatever why the private sector could not provide all of the Um, digital services that are required to make Medicare work efficiently. But privatising Medicare itself, it could never happen because there's no income stream and no one will buy anything if there's not an income stream attached to it. Logical when you look at it from that perspective. 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Wendy in Queensland. Hi, Wendy. Welcome along. Hello. Wendy, what are your thoughts? Well, I just really think that, you know, Australia's... Um, you know, the Word of God says to pray for our leaders 
and actually a lot of people are knocking our leaders all the time. Anyone in authority um, complaining, God says not to complain and grumble. Um, I mean, even I was only thinking just in a scripture came when Jesus, uh, the disciples, said, give, you know, produce the coin and he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And we've got to really think about what kind of government Jesus was on, um, was happening when Jesus walked the earth far, far worse than the government of Australia. In fact, that's probably why so many people want to come to Australia because of the blessing on this nation. There is a blessing on the nation and there are many Christians praying and the word of God's just to be blameless and harmless and I think we've got a lot to be thankful for. I was, I was only listening to... It's not going to help our nation to have everyone knocking, knocking, knocking. It's absolutely unbiblical, actually. God says to pray for those in authority. Wendy, some good thoughts in there. And uh, let's just get some thoughts and insights uh, from Rodson Hill on the way that Christians are adaptable under whatever government might well be in power. But uh, your thoughts on what Wendy's saying? Oh, absolutely. I agree with Wendy totally. But I, I would add this. I have not yet heard a single Christian leader make a critical comment during this election campaign. Certainly, I've heard Christian leaders stand up for righteousness, stand up for justice, but I have not heard any Christian leader being discourteous to anybody in this election campaign. Now, I have heard some people in the election campaign being extremely discourteous of some uh, leaders of Christian organisations. So, you know, it's a kind of a one-way street in a, in a, in a sense. But I, I take Wendy's point that as Christians, we do have an obligation, a God-given obligation to pray for and to respect those who are put in authority over us. But I also think that we do have an interest in doing everything we possibly can to ensure that this election delivers an outcome which is as consistent as it possibly can be with the principles espoused in God's word. And look, I, I, I honour so many of our, our Christian leaders in this nation who have stuck to their guns in terms of basic Christian values. They have not been rude. They have not been discourteous. And they haven't lied either. And in fact, I was listening to some election campaign advertisements yesterday and I was thinking if the same standards were applied to those advertisements as would be applied to a business in its own advertising, there'd be a whole lot of people who'd be being fined and perhaps going to jail because we're being fed. There are some outright lies that are being fed to the people in, in the name of political advertising. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Well, we've been talking economics and the upcoming election over this past hour. Dr. Rod St. Hill is Dean of Business at Christian Heritage College in Brisbane and uh, unpacking some really good value when it comes to insights, having a biblical Christian foundation to our lives to be able to make assessments not only of those social and moral issues but also of the economic issues. Uh, I imagine that uh, in your classes at Christian Heritage College, Rodson Hill, that uh, this sort of uh, conversation must come up because you're preparing young people, not just for business but also I guess uh, to be able to handle the political uh, spectrum of ideas that are out there. Oh yes and of course some of our graduates um, end up in various political types of employment working say in the office of a member of parliament um, or working in a policy area or going and working for, say, a, a treasury department or a, 
a premier's department or somewhere like that. So they end up in all sorts of very interesting positions. The great uh, privilege and pleasure that I have as a Dean of Business at Christian Heritage College is that I actually get to take the Bible into the classroom with me. And uh, I can say to my students, here is a biblical principle. Now, how do we outwork this principle in the context of, say, a particular economic issue, or it might be an issue in relation to, say, human resources management or management in general, maybe planning in the business context. So what we're endeavouring to do is to produce graduates who are confident that they can take a Bible-based, Christ-centred worldview and apply it in whatever marketplace context they end up in. And I might add, Christian Heritage College isn't the only one doing this. There are a number of what we call private higher education providers right around Australia that are doing a similar thing. So we're not on our own. And uh, look, Christians everywhere in this country, when they're looking for what to do in terms of their education after high school, they will be able to find a Christian provider who has what they're looking for, except in some areas like medicine and engineering and architecture and so on. But in many, many areas, such as um, teacher education, many areas in the social sciences, in business, in theology, in ministries and so on, there are many, many similar institutions. And uh, I would strongly urge people to look around and do what they can do to ensure that their higher education is based on a biblical worldview. Well, it's great getting your insights today on these important issues. And for those who might like to follow through and make contact with Dr. Rod St. Hill, I'm sure, Rod, you wouldn't mind getting an email from listeners Not if, at all. Uh, if there are those who'd like to communicate. I'll give the website for CHC Christian Heritage College. It's chc.edu.au. And uh, you'll be able to find. Dr. Rod St. Hill there, uh, when you find the business faculty of the Christian Heritage College, you might have a question, you might have a comment, uh, you might have a criticism. I'm sure Rod will take it on the chin if you do. Uh, so chc.edu.au. Uh, Rod St. Hill, thanks for being with us today on 2020. Thank you so much for having me, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.